Shut up and sit down. What's up? What's up? Welcome to the My Awful Life podcast. Welcome back, my uh, friend and guest for the day, Dennis Gunner Metzler. How you doing, my friend? I'm tired, but I'm alive. So I'm <laughs> yeah, here. yeah. Uh, you had a big night of training last night. Yeah, that and driving back home, and then driving back out here, and training in the morning this morning. So yeah, pretty tired, but nice. Yeah, we spent a lot of hours on the on the road. Um, those of you that don't know, we live about, I don't know, what is it? Hour and a half, two hours apart. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. About an hour 45. Yeah. We're out here on the coast. Um, he's a little more inland toward, uh, one of the bigger cities. Um, but we get it done. Uh, started your jujitsu career a little bit, right? Yeah, a little bit. Second time training in a gi, and I went home last night, and I'm looking at all these nice new bruises I got and some welts and <laughs> wondering how I got them because yeah. I don't remember feeling them, but they're there. Yeah, it's amazing, man. People grab – they try to grab a hold of the gi, but they get a lot of flesh and arm hair and all that kind of stuff in the middle of it. Yeah, it was fun. Um, I was just looking at my arms and going, where else are they, you know, and how do I explain these to the wife now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, honey, I swear it's another man. <laughs> I don't know if that's better or worse, but it's another man. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so we have uh, we have an event coming up, um, all the listeners as well. Uh, we have a couple of things, kind of different moving parts to this. We have a charity event coming up uh, February 18th, 2023. Uh, my Academy, Ravens Guard Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, um, my, uh, my business partner, the Academy, um, has a, uh, not, he's a CEO for nonprofit ATII. They're, uh, um, anti-human trafficking organization. And, uh, I don't want to get into the specifics of, of his job or whatever. I'm going to have him on and, and, um, and he can talk about all the ins and outs of, of that company, but, um, it's awesome. They do amazing work for, um, uh, anti-human trafficking. So we're, uh, we're collaborating and we're going to make this, uh, this big event go off, uh, February 18th. So it's going to be a super fight based grappling event. Um, tap out trafficking is going to be the name of it. And so basically for those of you that aren't aware, the super fight format you know, it's like any other fight card, right? Like the UFC or a boxing match or whatever. You have one person versus one person and uh, whatever rule base you've got for that. And, you know, you have one person walks away a winner, one person walks away a loser, right? Um, as opposed to a tournament style thing, which is pretty a little more traditional in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So um, I like both formats, but I'm a big fan of... Uh, super fight events, especially when they're done right. Um, so this whole event's going to be super fight based and, um, have a couple different rules and time limits and stuff depending on the, on the matches, but, uh, it's going to be an exciting event and, uh, I'm hoping to have you be, uh, be 
one of them. So, uh, gi or no gi, you know, whatever. We'll see. Yeah, uh, this is February, right? Yeah, yeah. We need some more training. Uh, definitely a lot <laughs> yeah. more training. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that I love about jujitsu is that you can compete at whatever level you're at, right? Like I competed a ton as a white belt. Um, you know, never in an event as big as this one's going to be, but uh, that's all right. You're a big guy; you can handle it. Well, I'd love to be there. I'd love to be in it. Um, you know, it's just never done anything like that before. Um, yeah, all my sports have been competition team sports never been individualized like that but mm-hmm. you know i'm trying to make an effort trying to get out here trying to do yeah. more and more um you know regardless of the drive or whatever just getting out here as much as i can getting on the mats getting embarrassed you know leaving my pride at the door because <laughs> <laughs> i definitely have to pick it back up when i leave um, that's that's what it's about man i i, I tell you i'm not going to tell you this because you're my friend but I genuinely mean it. I wish I had more students like you. I wish I had more students that gave a shit enough to, to make the drive that you make and, um, and, you know, genuinely care about their own progression and being a good teammate and helping other people on the mat and all that. Um, obviously our job dictates that we need to be able to handle ourselves, but, um, um, but yeah, for for those of you listening that maybe didn't hear the last episode, um, go back and check that one out. But Gunner is my uh, one of my partners out on the road, um, doing the fugitive recovery gig that we do. So uh, last <laughs> last night was pretty funny. We made a video. Uh, those again, those of you that don't know, go on Instagram, follow me on uh, my dot alpha dot life. Also, black belt shit is another uh, another page that I just started and putting up some instructionals and stuff like that. We were uh, doing a video last night and I used Gunner and I said, yeah, you know, I introduced him. Yeah. My friend, my partner, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah, And then went into the technique and afterwards everybody in class was just kind of sitting there staring at me and we're like, uh, maybe you should reword that a little. It wasn't so much about the wording as much as it was how much you said partner over and over again with your hands on my shoulders, (laughs) gently caressing that made everybody kind of curious a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, that event, that event is going to be great. Uh, I'm really, really excited for it. Um, we got a bunch of really good people lined up for it. Um, chaos, our other partner, he's, uh, he's going to be in it. He's a really good, uh, high level Brown belt. Um, he'll be on here one day as well. When he gets his life together. <laughs> he was supposed to be here today, guys, but um his uh his life is falling apart and uh and he needs to tend to it. So but his life he's the he's the kind of guy that his light his his uh call sign is chaos for a reason. Um he always finds a way to uh, create some chaos in his life. What did he do? Uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Two days ago. Two, Two days, days ago. ago. Yeah. Just, uh, on a recovery and dropping somebody off at the jail and wrapping up and going, Oh, that was pretty smooth. And then realizing that he locked his keys inside of his truck and <laughs> Hey, do you have a spare set of keys? Oh yeah. They're locked in the truck also. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, while we're at the sheriff's office, you know, I made it a point to go over and talk to the deputies and, hey, do you guys happen to have a, like a Slim Jim or some kind of tool to get in? No, no. Okay, great. Well, you know, when you guys, if you're leaving, make sure you wave to the guy in the big blue truck <laughs> over there. He's locked out of his car. So, yeah. 
So, yeah, that was an adventure. I had yeah. to go to the fire department and uh, talk to them over there. And, and weirdest thing, they just gave him their Slim Jim. Didn't check an ID, didn't do any. Right. Just assumed he was some type of law enforcement. Here you go, have a Slim Jim. Well, he's a pretty fella, so, you know, he yeah. doesn't. <laughs> it's Maybe that maybe that helped. Yeah, and then yesterday we put a guy in jail. Um, relatively uneventful case yesterday. Um had to deal with a bunch of people lying to us and stuff, but you know, we ended up getting him and, uh, but the jail that we were taking him to, they have a, uh, particular, like a new protocol and they need X number of paperwork, this paperwork, that paperwork, whatever. And, uh, uh, I guess he left that in his truck as well. <laughs> so maybe it's his truck. Maybe the truck it's is the, the truck, problem. Yeah. It's definitely the truck. No, I've known him for almost 15, maybe 16 years now. It's definitely not the truck. <laughs> it's not the truck. It's not the truck. Oh, man. Well, I don't... Uh, but that's why we love him. Yeah, yeah, man. Great guy. We just like to bust his balls a lot. I mean, we bust each other's balls, too, but he's not here currently, and he's supposed to be, so uh, it's it's better to bust his balls while he's not here. That way he can listen to this episode and then, and uh, come back. Yeah. He's got a couple of nicknames. Remember, we started out with Pry Bar. Yeah, yeah, Pry Bar was good. Um, yeah, tell uh, tell the story about about how that one came about. Yeah, that was uh, we were at a address a record here where we were trying to look for a fugitive, and we were going to make entry into the house, and um, we made entry into the house. We searched the the entire residence. Nobody was in there, and then we go to the back shed, and it's a a rotted out little brown wooden shed with a a little master lock on there and a crappy little aluminum lock and uh trying to get inside the shed and tell him to you know pry the lock off of there it's super easy like it looks like it would just pull right out of the wood and uh what does he do he goes and he finds a piece of rebar and sticks it in the master lock in between the the hook and the actual lock itself and tries to break the lock as opposed to uh, just pulling the, the metal out, screws out of the wood. Rather than going for the, for the weakest easy, link possible. Yeah, the easy part, you know. Uh, so that's that's how he got his nickname, Pryball. Well, that <laughs> came full circle the other day when uh, we got pictures of him with the Slim Jim trying to pry his door open and <laughs> trying to unlock his truck. <laughs> we should have stuck with that nickname. But I'll tell you, man, that I, I, you know, I enjoy laughing. I have a good time in life. But I have not laughed that hard and we laugh a lot when we're out working and stuff like we all really get along we you know bust each other's chops a lot but that day when you and i were just standing aside watching him <laughs> just like line up to go after this thing and, and and pry this thing open both of us were thinking exactly the same thing like what the fuck is he doing why is he <laughs> why is he doing it like that um and uh and then when he went and the thing bent man oh my god that was so funny but the then bar. but then yeah when you said but he said there it is call sign pry bar oh my god i laughed so hard <laughs> yeah he's a, he's a he's a good dude man he's a good dude um he's awesome to have on the team and he's awesome to have uh at the academy he's my main training partner now um which is great he moves well he's really knowledgeable in jiu-jitsu and and obviously very strong. So, um, yeah, he'd, he'd easily be a black belt in anybody else's gym for sure. Yeah. yeah he's, uh, he's a great training partner, both, you know, tactically and 
in jujitsu. I mean, he lets me get away with enough, but then he reminds me that he knows a lot more than I do. Right. So, you know, it's it's fun to train with somebody like that who actually will try to bring you up a level and, and train like just above your level so that you can kind of manipulate and figure things out for yourself instead of somebody who just wants to come in there and dominate you and yeah. you know, show how big their dick is. And it's like, you're not learning. Nobody's learning anything in a situation like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, I, I look for that as the black belt running the, running the program. And, uh, you know, as we're going, people are going up the ladder and, and, you know, they're in line for their next promotions and stuff like that. The, really the higher up you go in your belt, it's, it's less about, I mean, it's not, I won't say less about, but it's not only about your knowledge and your ability on the mat. It's not just your knowledge of jujitsu and, and you know, your ability to tap people and whatever you can be a stud on the mat, but if you're a dick, you know, you're just not a nice person, not a good teammate, not a good training partner. Um, you know, you're not going to promote and, uh, it's not necessarily the case in everybody's gym. Some people, they just care about metal chasers. You know, they only care about, um, you know, guys and girls that are going to go out there and, and get on the podium and, and win medals. And they don't really care what they do on, you know, in their spare time. But, um, man, it's, it's really, really important to have good people representing you. You know, if you put a black belt on somebody's waist, they're going to go out, they're going to open their own academy. They're going to you know, they're, they're part of your lineage. Now they're part of your legacy, so to speak. And you want people that are going to be putting out better people and better people and better people. And, you know, um, it needs to get better with time, not worse. Um, and things tend to already, I have a, you know, I don't know, pet peeve of mine is that, Martial arts in general, and I'm seeing it happen with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, is that uh, it tends to get watered down for different reasons. It gets watered down mainly for uh, money, I think. I think that um, people people that own and run academies, they they want to retain people, right? Obviously, if I don't have people on the mat, I'm not paying the bills. This is This is simple. We understand that. But you don't want to, so that you don't lose people, they give out belts more and more and more, and they give out promotions more and more and more, and often the person is not ready for it. You know, often the person is, I see people all the time that have a blue belt or, <clears throat> or that have a purple belt, and it's like, man, that, that, that person you can see if you're real, like if you're a real black belt or not even, you don't even need to be a black belt, but if you really train jujitsu at a high level and, and you're learning from people at a high level and stuff, um, you can tell what you're looking at and it's like, man, this guy is not a blue belt. This guy is not a purple belt or, or a black belt for that matter. Um, it's just so obvious. And then it just pisses you off. It's like, man, you know, cause you really work your ass off for it. Take, take you, for example, go back full circle. You're, you're driving almost two hours every time you come down and train, you know, you're, um, which is not a rare occurrence, by the way, this is, you know, we're talking about multiple times a week. You're driving, you know, at least, you know, almost two hours one way to come down here and train. You're, 
a white belt right now. So, I mean, you're a fit, strong guy, you're an athletic guy and you're smart. So you're picking up on things quickly, but, but you know, jujitsu is like magic, right? It's why we, that's why we do it. It's amazing. So you'll go in there and get your ass kicked. So you get your ass kicked for a little while (laughs) just to get back in your car and drive almost two hours back home. Um, you know, and you're doing it the right way. You're showing up to an academy that you believe in and that you're like, yeah, okay, there's high level, you know, jujitsu here and that's what I want to be a part of. So you're doing it the right way. And then you go to some other academy and you see some guy, you know, with a blue belt or with a purple belt or whatever, and they didn't do it the right way or they're not doing it the right way or like you roll with them and do really well. It's like, man, that's not the way that it should be, you know? Yeah. I mean, you said it, it's when you sacrifice that training and that level just for the dollars, you know, just, just to make more of a profit. I mean, I think you're losing a big swath of what this whole thing is about. Um, you know, and there's got to be balance there. Yeah, you got to keep the lights on. You got to pay the rent and everything. Um, but like when we were at that last competition, I mean, we watched that one female brown belt just get stomped out by everybody. Yeah. You know, and and we've got blue belts at our academy that will run that girl over. Yeah. Um, you know, so so what's happening? What's where's the disconnect between one school and and another? And obviously, it's that you know people. You said it, the retention. They want to keep them there. They want to keep them happy. And, you know, jujitsu is not happy. I mean, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's miserable. It's, it's, it's challenging. It's tough. It's hard. You, you, you're pained every day. You know, your joints hurt, but you feel good about it. You know, you're right. physically hurt, and you're, you're worn down, and you're run down, but you're like, man, I learned something. Wow, that's cool. You know, I can do this now, and I, I've got this, this knowledge now, this new knowledge base that I can apply to different areas of my life, and it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be doing the tough thing that makes you yeah. better. Um, so, yeah, those schools and those, those core values that I think so many people miss out on, um, they're, just, they're just so important. And, and when you start watering it down and sacrificing for dollars, you miss the whole point of the thing. Yeah. And when people, uh, it's funny that you bring up that, that particular female brown belt. Um, I know her personally and, um, I know, uh, I know her professor slash, uh, boyfriend personally. And yeah, they're, they're doing it wrong. Um, it just is what it is. You know, they're, it just is what it is. It sucks because, you know, one thing that I will give her is that, uh, she trains and she competes. So I'll take my hat off to that. Like she gets a nod of respect from me for the fact that she, that she does train and that she does compete and put it on the line. Um, I don't agree with a lot of other things, you know, but, uh, but that I do, that I do agree with. And I, and I respect about her. What I don't like is, and I think this should never be the case. First off, I think you should never just promote somebody. And I I guess, I guess this is speculation to be fair. Um, but you should not promote somebody because they're your significant other. You should not promote them faster or, you know, them have an easier road 
than any other students um, because they're your significant other. Again, speculation. I'm just voicing what I what I see. Um, but my question is this: when when she was a purple belt, <clears throat> I saw her win. Uh, I saw her win one match, not one tournament, not one whole event. Whatever. I saw her win one match at purple belt and lost every single other match at purple belt. And many of these were super fight events or, you know, um, but also tournaments. And I, I am not exaggerating. I watched her lose every single other match at purple belt. And then all of a sudden she was a brown belt. Now I don't, Maybe it's me, but if we, if you lose every match, almost every match, I don't care if you lose 50% of your matches, if, if she won 50% of matches at purple belt and lost 50% of matches at purple belt, we're not ready for brown belt. Right. Um, but certainly if you only win one at purple belt, um, you know, then, then we're going to put on a brown belt. Do you think the competition is going to be easier at Brown belt? Clearly not. So, and then what happened in that, that, uh, tournament that you watched, she lost every single match. match. She had six matches. If I'm not mistaken, six matches that day and was, didn't only lose, but she was submitted every single time. We had, uh, one of our blue belts, like you mentioned, blue belt female in the same division, uh, in the Nogi division, because she moved up to fight all the expert you know, ex quote expert, uh, level people. Um, so our blue belt submitted every girl that she touched that day to include all of the Brown and purple belts. Um, you know, and that's obviously that's, that's great. That doesn't, I'm not gonna, I'm not in a rush to go throw a purple belt on my blue belt because I know there's still some holes in her game and I know there's, you know, my goal is to turn out world champions. I want to be you know, like, she's a great example. I'm going to turn her into a world champion at blue belt. Then she's going to go to purple belt and do it again. And so on and so on. Um, but even if that's not your goal for, for some of your competitors or students, or they don't voice that they want to do that, we need to make sure that they still at least, uh, uphold the basic standards of whatever belt they're wearing. Right. And getting your ass kicked in every match is not up is not representative of that. Yeah, and I mean if you're going back to and this again, your speculation, if if she just got put a brown belt on because her significant other happens to be, you know, the 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 academy owner and, and he's the the black belt who's putting these belts on these people, well, you know, there's gotta be a separation there and, and a lot of people can't do that in life at all. Like you've gotta be able to once you go through those doors, say, Okay, well, I'm no longer your spouse. Right. I'm your your instructor, you know, and I'm no longer your significant other and we have to do this and, and there shouldn't be any hard feelings one way or the other, but people just can't disconnect from that and can't accept that. I mean, I did it the other day where I told you I was fucking around in class and I, you know, said something off color to Jeff and I was like, you know, I had, had to apologize for it because I didn't want anybody to look at it differently. Like, and it's it's hard for me sometimes because we spend so much time together. But I was like, hey guys, I'm sorry. You know, if anybody heard that, you know, it's not meant to be right. any disrespect. Like, you know, bring myself back down. 
once I step through those doors. When we get back outside, then we can fuck around and do what we need to do. Um, but again, right. another point to that is that there's also this, this in society, there's this instant gratification that everybody has to have. Like you have, you, you can't be stuck in one place for too long. Their attention levels are show, so short. Like, well, I, I've got to feel like I'm moving. I got to feel like I'm yeah. doing something. I'm progressing. I'm, and, and, you, and in jujitsu, it seems like it, transitions or, or ends up being, well, we'll give them another belt. We'll promote them again. And yeah. they're not ready, but you know, truthfully what really needs to happen is going back to the old school and just, you know, really ensuring that they know the techniques and they know what they need to know. Um, they're mentally tough enough to handle it. Um, and if they don't make the promotion, that's not on the school or, your instructor it's not on anybody but you you know mm -hmm. you didn't do something so you need to work harder you need to put in more hours you need to put in more mat time whatever the case may be if you don't promote that's nobody's fault but your own yeah um, well it needs to be held to a standard like brazilian jiu-jitsu is is held to such a high standard and it's and it's revered in such a way for a reason it's the most dominant martial art that there is and there, there's no it's something that i think is amazing it that is not argued among anyone that actually knows you know like at the highest level like the ufc is a great and i'll say i'll say the ufc because they're the the right like the top most organization yeah most recognized in in mma but i'll say the sport of mma um that whole thing is based around you bring whatever martial art slash martial arts that you know as an individual competitor and I'll bring whatever I know and the best man or woman is going to win that fight. And in that back in the day when, when MMA started, um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu dominated and it's why it became as big as it is. And, and people don't, some people don't know this, but the, the Gracie family was already doing this in Brazil, open challenges to any other martial art, whatever, simply to get out the, the word. It was a marketing campaign, really like yeah. we want to show everybody how dominant Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is. So then they brought that to America because in America, the, the marketing is more, everything's bigger, everything's, you know, flashier and fancier. And, and they could really explode Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on, on the American scene. They knew that. So they were the ones that that originally uh, had formulated this whole thing for the UFC and for MMA in general. And, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people don't know that. And so then you had Hoist Gracie come out and, and you know, he's dominating people and everybody's amazed by wow brazilian jiu-jitsu is this amazing thing and it is um but now as it's grown and um um uh, changed over the years and evolved over the years you now back in the day you had brazilian jiu-jitsu and you had a boxer and you had a kickboxer and you had a wrestler and whatever and the wrestlers and the brazilian jiu-jitsu guys did really well grappling arts right and then now it's evolved to a place that everybody trains mainly three things and it's Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, wrestling, 
and typically Muay Thai, but that can vary. You know, you might have like a world kickboxing champ. So maybe they're not like a strict Muay Thai pr- practitioner or whatever. They're a very good kickboxer or, or whatever. Um, but in the same kind of realm striking family, right? But those are the three main things now um, for, you know, in large part. And that speaks volumes in and of itself. There's no real fighter, no real serious fighter that does not know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, the levels vary, obviously, you know, um, as to your your grappling knowledge and, and how many years you've been a you've been training jiu-jitsu or like, have you been training jiu-jitsu specifically for MMA or are you a like prior world champion, you know, like Gilbert Burns, you know, or Damian Maya, you have people like this that are amazing. They're, they're amazing. I mean, just in a gi, out of a gi, jiu-jitsu for MMA, jiu-jitsu just for jiu-jitsu, whatever. They're going to fuck people up because they're very, very, very good. Um, you have that level of jujitsu in MMA, and then you have other people that have a very strong working knowledge of it, but understand that they train jujitsu every single week, you know, multiple times a week because they know how strong and dominant it is. Their game plan may be, I just want to know enough jujitsu to knock it fucked up <laughs> so I can try to knock this guy out because I'm a world-class striker or whatever the case, right? Um but just the fact that it is, it was so dominant then, and it is so dominant still today, speaks volumes. Yeah, it's there's so many. Just the BJJ term, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Anybody sees that now, and they're automatically, if you're interested in martial arts, they get drawn to it. Um, I think for the layman, for the person going into it for the first time. They think they can go to any gym and go, okay, well, this is going to be good for me. And this is going to be, you know, it's so dominant and is the most, the best form of fighting that you can possibly uh, learn, uh, start to use. But you've really got to be cautious because so much of it has been commercialized and so much of it is like, you know, I hate to use the term, but it's turning into like the McDonald's of martial arts. Yeah. You know, so you've got to be real careful with who you train with and really be skeptical when you step into that gym for the first time, mm-hmm. you know, what are you looking at? Is this going to be an actual like traditional BJJ where they're going to have those traditional values or is this somebody who's just looking for a paycheck? Yeah. Cause I know there's a lot of those out there and it's just getting to be more and more and harder and harder to find those, those traditional schools that are going to adhere to, to the principles and the time frames and the techniques and, and making sure that you're ready when it's time to promote and time to move up and, things like that 100%. So this is a sad fact but um I I I'm going to uh tell you a little story. I was I was in um Vegas. So I for those of you that don't know, I trained um in Vegas full time for some time. Um I was on Vanderlei Silva's uh pro fight team. I was also on his coaching staff. So obviously I was close with all the other coaches and and all of that. I, I lived in the gym essentially, right? Like I had a, a little apartment about a mile, mile and a half away from the gym. And, and I was in there six days a week. Uh, Sunday's the only day off and I'm training nonstop. I trained, um, Muay Thai, Jitsu, and, uh, MMA, uh, one right after the other in the morning. And then, I would teach and eat lunch and stuff throughout like kind of the midday. 
And then in the evening, I would train exactly that again, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, and, um, and MMA. And, uh, but the Jiu-Jitsu that I trained while I was there was all Nogi. It was all Jiu-Jitsu specifically for MMA, um, you know, for the most part, or just Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, the, we were blessed. Uh, we had Sidney Silva um, was our, was our jujitsu coach there. And um, those of you that don't know him, I mean, he's got world-class jujitsu. He's, he's one of only a handful of people that's uh, been promoted a black belt from Hicks and Gracie himself. So top notch jujitsu and a top notch guy, just a very good guy. Um, and so I was a purple belt at the time. I'm out there training. I'm training with him every day. I'm training with all the guys, whatever I'm doing my thing. And, and he asked me one time, he says, uh, he says, you know, he, he takes me aside from the mat. He says, Hey John, uh, when are you going to put your gi back on, you know, and work towards your black belt? And I, because you can't, you know, the old school guys, the traditional guys, and I do it this way too. You don't promote unless you're wearing a gi. If you're in no gi, that's no gi, that's whatever. Okay. But you don't have a belt to put on you, right? Like, what are we going to wrap a belt around somebody's waist for in no gi? Right. So, um, and that's controversial, whatever, like the 10th planet guys are going to hate on me for that, but <laughs> whatever it is, what it is. So, um, so, he says, you know, when are you going to put your gi on and, and start working towards your black belt? And I was like, man, Sydney, I don't have any fucking time for, to put my gi on too, right? Like this is my schedule and whatever. And, and he knew my schedule, but basically what he was telling me was, you know, he's like, man, you got to make some, some sacrifices. And whether that's, whether that's, you know, a couple of classes a week of whatever, like switch them out for gi jujitsu or whatever you're going to do. But and he said, uh, he said, what's your goal? Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, man, I, you know, I don't know. I just want to be as good as I can be. Right. And right now I just view it as me stacking knowledge. I'm just trying to collect all the shit I can. Right. And, um, from the best people that I can. And he said, uh, and he said, well, look, I said, but you know, he said, ultimately one day, do you want to have a, do you want to own your own gym? Do you want to whatever? I said, yeah, for sure. He says, okay, well, here's the deal. He goes, it's sad, but it's true. He's like, if you, um, you can be a purple belt. Cause I was a purple belt at the time. He was like, like people will, people will go in. You could be a purple belt. You had a purple belt knowledge, right? And buy a fucking black belt on eBay or something and go in there and teach. Right. Like you could be, you could have purple belt knowledge, but be a black belt and own your own school. And people will, will go in there and give you money and learn from you. Right. Because they're brand new. They don't know anything. And if you're a purple belt and you're dealing with people that are, that have no knowledge at all, you're like magical to them. Right. They don't, they don't know. Um, he goes, but you could be wearing a purple belt and have, like black belt knowledge, you know, but be per physically wearing a purple belt and, and very few people are going to go in there and learn from you. And I had to think about that for a minute, but I was like, wow, that's yeah, I guess you're right. Like that sucks. It sucks that it's that way, but people, your belt, it represents what you, who you are and what you know. Right. 
So somebody sees a black belt and they're like, okay, yeah, I fucking, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy knows what he's talking about. They just believe that. And then you have people like you're talking about, or like we're talking about that water it down for money or, well, I want retention. I want membership retention. So I'm going to water this down or, um, or that are fucking just fake to begin with. And that's a whole separate conversation. Um, I actually rolled with a guy like that too. I'll tell you that story in a minute, but, um, but you have people that, that genuinely don't know or are not good or that are, or that are wearing a black belt and the knowledge and the information that they're giving out to people is like blatantly wrong. There's levels, right? Like sure. Maybe like this technique could be taught better by, by somebody else versus this other person or whatever. There's that. But then there's people that just don't know and they're bullshitting or they're regurgitating some fucking YouTube video that they watched or whatever. And that to me is, is wrong. And there's every level of that happening right now between really high level jujitsu being taught the watered down version somewhere in the middle. And then your phonies on, on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. It's like I said, that's real hard for somebody who's just getting into it to know what they're doing and what they're looking at. Like, I mean, you got to really kind of step back, I think, and watch a couple of the classes, you know, do your research on these, these yeah. different academies and figure out what's going on. Um, you said, you know, when you had that conversation that you, you didn't know what you wanted to do. I just want to be as, as good as I can, you know, and I think that's, I mean, that's a, that's a great outlook to have when you get into this. But for those guys who are training like no gi all the time, that's the only thing they do. And, you know, I don't know if you can promote through no gi. Traditionally, you said you're not supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but if you really want to be as good as you can be, I mean, I really didn't train gi up until about a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And it was like, holy shit, this sucks. You know, yeah. Uh, it, when you're training no gi, and I go to grab somebody, and I, I go to grab a wrist, and my hand slips right off, and it's like, well, this sucks. I can't do that. I can't grab them. They're so slippery and wiry, and keep getting away from me. And as soon as you throw that gi on, and somebody grabs your wrist, and they got a handful of material, it's like, oh, well, this sucks even more. <laughs> yeah. Now I can't move. What do I do here? So it's just another level and another dimension. Like it has to be incorporated. Yeah true to life in street fights yet yeah, nobody's going to be wearing a gi unless they just stepped out of their academy and are walking to their car well so so i i, I point this out to people all the time uh it's usually newer folks that ask me like well what do you think i should do like gi or no gi or whatever and i always tell them both here's the reason why um to to your point just now um the gi directly translates to if somebody's wearing like like pants of any kind right. and say like a button down shirt jacket. or a jacket or whatever they're wearing a gi essentially, right. you know? So, so it translates that way. But also like you said, like, you know, your, your perspective was like, well, fuck no gi. They're always getting away from me. This sucks. And then in gi, fuck, I can't get away from them. Like this sucks. So, and I use that analogy all the time. What I tell people is if, if you have really good <clears throat> offense in no gi, then you can, then you can say that you have really good offense mm -hmm. because it's so easy for them to slip away. Right. So I'm trying to go for an arm bar. I'm trying to go for a key more, whatever it is you're going for. They're slippery and wet and sweaty. You're slippery and wet and sweaty. 
And it's hard to fucking hold on to people and stay attached sometimes. So if you work your technique out in a way where you can attack people effectively in Nogi, right on. You've got good, you've got good offense. Same thing defensively in the Gi. It is so much easier for people to hold on to you and stay attached to you and keep you close and all these kinds of things. And it is far more difficult to escape submissions while wearing a Gi. So if you have good defense while wearing a gi, you can you can actually hold your head high and say, yeah, I've got good, you know, I've I've got a good well-rounded game. Obviously, you need to have good attacks and defense in both, right? I'm not saying, you know, my like real literal <laughs> fucking like don't fucking quote me on, well, he said you don't have to have good offense, you know. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that a good like way to govern your own game is you know, um, train both and develop a really well-rounded game in both. And if you can attack people and, and have them not slipping out of every submission while in Nogi, then yeah, you probably get, you know, pretty good, tight, tight offense and vice versa in Gi with defense. Yeah. I mean, just wanting to be the best you can be, you have to do both. You have to train both. And that's coming from somebody who doesn't know a lot, but um, my eyes are kind of wide open to this thing right now. So I'm kind of looking at all the different aspects and I want to be the best that I can be. Um, so I know once I slipped that gi on that I couldn't get away from somebody. It was like, well, now I need to train this more. Right. You know, so I got to keep And, and you know, I've, I've lived a pretty long life so far and I've seen a lot and I've done a lot, but just getting into this over the past year, like I said, my eyes are wide open. I'm going, okay, well, I don't know half as much as I thought I knew, and I'm going to be a student for the rest of my life. Yeah. And well, and that's like the addicting part too. It's why I like, man, I, I, I love having, like I said, I love having students like you that are in it for the right reason. You're not in it for your own ego. You're not in it for anything else. You, you want to be able to perform when we're out there in a real world scenario, trying to put bad guys in jail. We get in fights, we get in, you know, fights and, and all these things are, are, are very real in our everyday life. Um, whereas the average guy, you know, somebody's in there training jujitsu and, and he sells used cars or whatever, or he's a dentist or whatever they do, the chances of them getting in a fight in their, you know, in their everyday life is, you know, very rare. Slim, but it still happens. Sure, it, it happens. But, um, but for, you know, people like, you know, me and you and Jeff, they, you know, uh, we need to be on top of our game. But it's about it's about more than that too. It's about pushing yourself mentally, pushing yourself physically, getting out of your comfort zone, um, you know, and and learning something new and and wanting to be a student. That's the addicting part, man. Like, you know, I'm I'm a black belt. I've been a black belt for nine years, um, and I like I feel I feel like I don't know shit about jujitsu compared to what is possible in jiu-jitsu, right? It doesn't matter how many medals I've won, how many belts I've won. None of that really matters. It's okay. I did great that day compared to these people and whatever, but I know what is possible in jiu-jitsu and I've been blessed, like I said, and, and trained with and learned from some of the absolute best that have ever done it. And, um, Therefore, I know what's possible, right? I know shit that they that they can do to me and other people and stuff like that. And um, 
And I just want to be at that level at some point and be able to pass that knowledge along. Yeah. And I mean, for you and for me and for, for chaos, I mean, it, I don't think it's just a jujitsu thing. I think it's a life thing. Like you got the mindset too, the same way I do. Like I'm always alert, always aware and always learning. Like mm-hmm. there's always something out there. And when we're doing our job, like, yeah, we're completely competent and capable at doing what we do. Um, but you know, for the first person who puts on a, a gun belt and decides they want to go out and be a bail agent, you know, and they have no skills whatsoever and they're going to yeah. rely on, well, I'm going to rely on my, my taser or I'm going to rely on my pepper spray. Right. Well, what happens when, you know, you get confronted with that person and you go to tase them and you drop a taser probe and now all of a sudden they're charging you and they smash you in the face. Then what, you know, now, yeah. now what's your game? So, you know, you've got to have, no matter what you, whether you're a dentist, whether you're a bail agent, whether you're a car salesman, you've got to have some type of survival skills in this life because we've all heard of the attacks that happen at car dealerships or my wife, uh, she's a dental assistant. And for you know her, she's had cracked out naked men <laughs> charging around her parking lot. You right. know? It's like you never know in this world what's going to happen. So to, you got to be mentally prepared and, and, I just wish there was more people in this world like that because it seems like we've gotten so comfortable in life that, uh, you know, we're, we're so oblivious to every day and the threats that are around us. Um, so it doesn't just apply to, to bail agents or, or cops or, or military personnel. Like you've got to have a good set of skills to, to deal with anything that's going to happen in life. I mean, beyond that, like medical skills and like just, just constantly, um, refreshing your knowledge base and seeking to learn new things, no matter how old you get, like it shouldn't stop at a certain age. I mean, I'm getting, getting up there in years now and it's like, I constantly want to learn new things and stay on top of my game because, you know, just driving home from here, I don't know how many car wrecks that I see on the side of the road where somebody might need help. You know, who knows, maybe you go to stop that person on the, who's in a car wreck to help them out. And turns out that they're, you know, high as fuck. And then they start attacking you. Then what, you know? So, it's not just like, hey, we're going to do this just so we can compete and so that we can get medals and we can right. you know, promote to another belt. It's really just a, it's a life skill. And, and I think each one of us, anybody listening to this right now, uh, just if you continually progress and try to advance and learn new things, never stay stagnant, never stay stationary, always moving forward, you know, you're going to be in a better position than probably 90, 98.5% of the people out there. I don't know what the stat is, but sure. whatever it is, I mean, you're, you're constantly uh, feeding your knowledge base and feeding your, feeding your, your brain with things that you can learn and apply in everyday life. Not saying you're going to use them, but at least you got them there to, to help you out. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, um, you don't, uh, you don't stop moving because you got old you get old because you stop moving. And I I think that applies 100% both mentally and physically. I think it's so important to um, the older we get, obviously keep moving physically, keep doing, you know, things like people, I think like they slow down with uh, like lifting weights, for example, people maybe lift their weights when they're in their twenties or whatever guys I'll say. And then um, really slow down in their thirties non-existent in their forties. And then, you know, they consider themselves old, you know, like 45 and above. And, um, and I feel, and then mentally as well, it's like, um, you know, mentally it's like most people, they don't, they don't 
see the value in challenging themselves uh, in their in their mind and their ability to learn and so on. It's like, man, just keep keep pushing throughout life. You know, jujitsu gives you both of those in one, right? Like the physicality of it, but also the chess in motion uh, of of you know two people, you know fighting for positions and submissions and defenses and things like this. So you have to actually think on your feet the the whole time, you know? Um, But even if it's whatever, playing chess, reading books, whatever the riddles, whatever you're going to do to like keep your mind going. um, I try to do as much of that as, as possible. You know, I'm terrified of losing my mind, you know, like losing my ability. I may have lost my mind a long time ago, but (laughs) yeah, but, uh, but losing my ability to, to think and my, and my, you know, cognitive ability and stuff, as I get older, I, you know, I'm terrified to lose that and not like be present with my family and friends and the people that I care about. And, um, I think that'd be heartbreaking for them. I wouldn't fucking know any, any better. Right. But they would. Um, so I, yeah, I definitely don't want that to happen. And, um, and physically, man, I think, I, I think this is more for men than it is for women. I think the older women get, they put more value on, uh, getting in shape or staying in shape and stuff like that. But I think a lot of men get comfortable. Um, a lot of them peak in high school and college if they went to college. And then, and I think typically that's like to get girls and whatever else for the most part, maybe, you know, stoke the fires of their ego. And then, and then, like I said, it it blows my mind, but I know so many people that by the age of like 30 to, we'll just say 30 to 40 and you're in their thirties, it's over. Like it's kind of long been over They're They're overweight. They're, you know, a, a weaker, more frail, you know, out of shape, soft version of their, of their former selves. And, uh, it blows my mind. I'm like, dude, I'm, I don't get it. Like I'm pushing to be in better shape on and on. I just turned 40, right? It's like, I'm excited for my forties because don't be, I'm halfway through. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for my forties. Cause I know I'm not going to let myself get there, I guess. Right. Like, the older men get, the worse they become, and I'm going to keep pushing to be better and better and better. So, um, but, but yeah, just it's sad, man, to see people that, like I said, they peak in high school or college and they just give up. Yeah, I see people up. on Facebook all the time that I graduated high school with, and I'm like, bro, what? Yeah, where happened? Same, how are we the same age? Yeah, how are we like we're like. 20 years ago, we basically looked the same. And now you look like a pile of melted ice cream. Right. (laughs) And I look slightly better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because you're a humble guy, but you know, you're a, you know, yeah, you obviously are in great shape and, and push hard. You care about your diet. You care about, you know, this and that you care about your diet so much. I fucking, you confuse me sometimes. Right. So like, (laughs) We had, uh, I know you're changing your diet up a lot. Let's talk about that for a second. I know you did the carnivore diet for a while. Let's, uh, a couple of weeks. How, yeah, <laughs> how was it's that? It's hard, man. It it's sounds hard. miserable. It's not miserable. I mean, if you have a good diet plan, like something laid out. But, I mean, I love bacon. But, sure. fuck, bacon like three times a day and then the chicken breast and, 
you know, stay, it's not bad. Um, but it's very difficult when you have a schedule that is so erratic and all over the place and, and it's just hard to plan out the meals. I mean, the first week I felt a little sluggish on it. Um, I kept hearing about this explosive diarrhea, which never came, uh, thankfully. But, you know, the second week I started feeling better. Um, I noticed that I was getting leaner already. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after that, it was just like we had so much time on the road. It was just it was really difficult to, uh, you know, go into a Chick-fil-A and order a chicken patty. And that's sure. You know, I've got to order four of those to to keep me fed. So. Right. Um, Yeah. I mean, my diet, I, I just it's it's not good (laughs) (laughs) well i i am with you all the time and so i see what you eat now i i will agree with that statement (laughs) and not at the same time like (laughs) well hold on a second like you okay for the viewers at home listeners at home this man will this is a real story Okay, it was the three of us, me, Gunner, and Chaos. We're out. I don't remember what shitty town we were in, but we were going to like a shittier like little country town, and we were in a slightly bigger town, and uh, you know, on our way there, and I was like, all right, boys, this is like the last stop for food, really, because I don't know, you know, what's going to be available when we get where we're at. Disclaimer, I don't know what story you're telling. Okay, about, so. <laughs> you will in a second. Okay. So I, uh, so I'm like, all right, let's, I'm going to, we're going to stop it. And it was not good, but it was, I think it was like an Arby's or something like that. Like you can kind of get a good sandwich, you know, at a place like that or say a Chick-fil-A or whatever. Right. Maybe it's not the best, but it's like the healthiest of the fast food options. Um, and all of us are, you know, drinking either water. I, you know, I like to drink tea, but anyway, um, so I stopped to get gas first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So I stopped to get gas first, and then I'm going to swing by the the place to get food. And I see Gunner walking through the like refrigerated little fucking section, and he's he's looking at uh, burritos, gas station burritos, and he's like. And he looks like he's actually contemplating grabbing one of these. And I was like, hey, dude, um, just to clarify, maybe you didn't hear me, but I'm getting gas first. And then, like, right now I'm just grabbing some water and stuff like that. But you don't need to get food from in here. Excuse me. You don't need to get food from in here. We're going to go over here and get food. And, uh, And he's like, yeah, no, it's all good. You know, whatever. Like, yeah, no, it's not all good though. <laughs> it's you, I like you, and um I want you to stick around, you know. So <laughs> let's let's not put that shit in your body. And then um anyway, I walk away, whatever, and in my mind I'm thinking, okay, he he heard me and he knows we're gonna go over there and it's all good. And uh we go ring up and uh get in the truck <laughs> and he throws Hey, what was it? A beef and bean, I think. Yeah, I think it was like a steak and cheese burrito or something. That makes like that. it sound good. It was <laughs> whatever. It's whatever they called steak. Whatever they called steak. And he yeah. throws it up on the dashboard. To, this is in the summertime to like heat <laughs> it up. <laughs> I'm like, dude, there's so much wrong with what's happening here. And uh, anyway, that's what he ate. And he, I think he got 
through like half of it, right? No, I had the whole thing. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, I thought you quit yeah, on no, it. No, I bought two of them. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, even worse. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So anyway, this guy has got uh, you know, guts of steel number 1. Uh, number 2, balls of steel cuz <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing that. Uh, explosive diarrhea is not my idea of a good time. Every once in a while, you got to reset the bowel. <laughs> I see. Clear it out. A couple of gas station burritos. And Some good. people go on a cleanse. Right? <laughs> That's your version yeah, of a cleanse. Good. Yeah. Then I'm good for five years, but at least I know right. I can still handle it. No, but my diet is like I, I try as best I can to eat natural and healthy and, and just like whole foods, whole grains. Like yeah. if I'm going to eat grains at all, um, you know, clean. Um, try not to drink a whole lot of uh energy drinks even though just got done with one now but um you know maybe a cup of coffee in the morning then water for the rest of the day um and and stay away from a lot of processed foods as much as possible now being on the road all the time it sucks i mean we're we're eating whatever we can um because we never know how long we're going to be gone right and sometimes we luck out and we find a nice little mennonite bakery with you know dude that place was so good just amazing food in the middle of absolutely fucking nowhere. Yeah. And other times it's like, yeah, well, steak and cheese burrito from the gas station. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll fill up on trail mix or something from the gas station before I'm going to eat one of those steak or, or and gummy bears. cheese or gummy. I love gummy bears, yeah. but yeah, man, that was a good one. We were, uh, I don't even remember where we were, but another one of those really small towns, nothing around. And we were all starving. We hadn't, hadn't had food and we knew we were not going to get food for quite some time on that case and uh googled you know restaurants near me or whatever not expecting you yeah, know anything good got that lady Remember we stopped oh yeah that late yeah that okay, lady said that's right it's like yoders yeah yoders uh dutch pantry is yeah. what it was called and uh it's run by mennonite folks i don't know if it's a one particular mennonite family or if it's kind of the community probably the community um but man that food was good all the stuff in there was good i bought that loaf of bread from there brought it home fuck that up it was really good yeah, those cookies there everything was fresh made everything yeah. was like the, the cuts of bacon were so thick and like i've never had bacon like that in my yeah. life the pancakes even the pancakes were delicious and whatever that caramel apple syrupy butter like Shout out to Yoder's man. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's like an hour and a half away from here. I think we're going right. there like sometime in the next month, right? <laughs> just for the food. Yeah, dude, that place was good. It's nice to find places like that that are, uh, um, I don't know, wholesome is the word that comes to mind. It's just like everything they do is just they just want to do it well. You know, yeah. the food, the all the other like goods that they sold in that place this was a huge place it wasn't just a restaurant um it was kind of a all-around general store i'd say right and uh sold food and baked goods and things like that but then like items too across the street they had um that was their property as well they had a bunch of um sheds and chicken coops and stuff like that that we were checking out um just super well made none of your shit you're gonna get from like home depot or lowe's or anything like that yeah, yeah, they had those rocking chairs out there, those Adirondack chairs. Mm-hmm. Like everything was built by hand, like probably, you know, in the back 40 on this property somewhere. Right. And it was just amazing to find something like that. It's like a gen, like nobody's ever heard. I'd never heard of it in my life. Yeah. And everybody I've talked to, nobody's ever heard of it. And, you know, 
should definitely get a lot more publicity than it does. Yeah. It was a little awkward when we walked in there. I mean, I think we kind of stuck out like sore thumbs. Yeah, we stood out quite a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> I think they get a lot of people, you know, a lot of country folks from from the surrounding areas and stuff, and we're certainly not that. But Yeah, it was like one of those scenes in the diner where you walk in and the jukebox, just somebody pulls a plug and everybody yeah. looks at you. Yeah, we pulled up and got out of the truck, and all three of us are in full kits so of gun belts and and uh you know plate carriers and and all the 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 whole you know the whole outfit and um it took like one person right that back door of the kitchen was right there and like oh my god (laughs) and then there's seven or eight people standing at the door looking at us yeah and their ankle skirts and just kind of like chuckling and laughing at us like i don't know if we should go here right right but, you know, I eat gas station burritos, so we rolled the dice on that one. It's right. really good. Yeah, man, that place was great. Yeah. So um, this is kind of silly. I, I've noticed in the past couple of days, we're talking about nutrition and and working out and being in shape and stuff like this. Are you following this uh, Liver King nonsense? Eh, a little bit. I mean, come on. The guy's not on juice. Yeah, yeah. Break. Like, yeah. So those of you that are like living under a rock or whatever and don't know what we're talking about, Liver King is this guy. What was his name? Brian Johnson. Johnson or, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's got this whole spiel about how he that is his like predecessor and that's his former yeah. self or whatever. And ancestral. Yeah. Ancestral. He goes by ancestral or he lives his life in an ancest by ancestral means or whatever. And so he. Uh, He's this super jacked. I think he's super short. He's like five two or something. He's a very short guy. Very red. It very red. Yeah, imagine <laughs> that. And um, but he's uh, he goes by the Liver King. He talks about how the way like he's so fit and so whatever, um, and so healthy and all this because of the changes he made in his life and primarily his diet and his workout routines. Um, and his diet is, uh, very primal, right? So, uh, liver with every single meal, bone marrow with every meal, uh, animal brain, animal testicles, all this stuff. It's all like very, you know, it's marketing. It's a marketing ploy, obviously, but he sells supplements too. He has his own line of supplements and, Basically, that's his gimmick. Like, oh, eat like I do, work out like I do, and um, buy my supplements, obviously, and my workout routines and all that bullshit, and you can look like me, right? Um, Anybody with half a fucking brain knows this guy's juiced out of his head, but even though there are lots and lots of, I guess the number one question anybody asked him, like, are you natural or are you, you know, or are you on steroids, PEDs, whatever, and uh, I've seen a lot of clips of videos of him himself, like not people saying he said, but he himself saying, yeah, no, I'm, I've never taken a steroid. I'm right. 100% natural, whatever. And um, I guess it was a bunch of emails leaked, that, you know, from him to other people talking about what he uses and all of that stuff. And But I don't understand why the uproar, like people actually believed I don't understand what's the problem. Like he's 
oh, he lied. Well, we already fucking knew that. So what I don't. Well, because a lot of those people didn't believe that he lied. They thought that he was being genuine and honest because they're so naive. Right. You know, I think you were talking about those emails. Yeah, there was something back in like 2021 or 2020 um, where he was talking about gaining like a million followers on social media and talking about growth hormone and things like that. And Mm -hmm. he was going to completely jack his body up with all these growth hormones and whatever else he was going to take. It's like you, you can't look at that guy and think that that's natural. There's no way possible. There's no human being that's ever walked this earth. That's looked like that just by eating cow balls. Yeah. You know, it's, it doesn't happen. Yeah. There's a big thing about him having uh, implants too, like ab implants in particular. Yeah. Um, which I could certainly believe like, yeah. But if you look at him, like they'll show him moving. I've, I've seen that too. Uh-huh. They'll show him moving. And, and unless there's like super advanced ab implants, cause you could actually see the muscles in his stomach, like stretching as he uh-huh. moves from direction, one direction to another. So yeah. it's not just like a, a solid piece in there. Now, I don't know what kind of surgery you could do. Maybe maybe they have some kind of mesh implant that forms with your body as you move. Well, if you're a fucking millionaire, like yeah. if, if there's anybody that could do it, it's him. Yeah. You know, technology is amazing and, and uh, money is king. So yeah, I, I mean, I can't knock them. I mean, what does every other company and every, every other person who goes out there and tries to promote supplements do? They get themselves super jacked. They yep. start selling a supplement. This guy just had a, a clever gimmick for it, and yep. it worked for him. So, I mean... I guess more power to him yeah. because he did what he wanted. He made some money doing it. And so what if he lied? I yeah. Mean, and yeah. And it's just publicity, right? I mean, we're talking about it right now yeah. and uh, everybody else is talking about it. And, and at the end of the day, I just think that it's silly that there are people like really in an uproar about, Oh, let me give you breaking news about him lying. Like he, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> the first time I saw him, I was, yeah, obviously he's, the problem isn't with him lying. The problem is with you believing him. It, right. It, it all goes back to your own personal responsibility. If you're yeah. dumb enough to believe somebody like that, when you look at him and go, oh, yeah, he's natural, that's your fault. You know, right. You need to crawl out from under your rock and take a look at 99% of the people out there in the world. Nobody looks like him. And yeah. The ones that do look like him are all like Mr. Olympias, and they're jacked on, you know, trend and... Everything. Yeah. So much of everything. Yeah. <laughs> Just like... um did you see, uh, you saw a documentary, right? Back in the day, uh, bigger, stronger, faster. I don't think I did. It's a good one. You should watch it. Um, it, it, they, they interview a couple of different a bunch of people, but, um, one of them is this guy. He's a, he's a bodybuilder, but professional model. And he's on the cover of men's health and he's pretty open. He's like, he's like, yeah, I, I you cannot achieve a physique like I have without it. Um, and he's like, I'm not, I'm not going out on men's health or anywhere else and saying, I look like this naturally. But if people, because I'm on the cover of men's health, choose to believe that you can achieve this naturally, because that's kind of, that's where they lead you. Right. Right. Then, you know, it is what it is. It's not my problem. What people believe, but I'm not going to, if asked directly, I'll tell people the truth. Which I respect. And you flip to page 32 and you see him promoting some type of protein supplement. Or of course. And, and that's what it's all about. It's all about the money. It's all about the dollar. And I'm not saying like if, if Liver King is lying, who cares? I mean, yeah, a lie is still a lie. But for you to think that anybody else out there is not doing the same thing and lying and making money on it, again, the problem's with you. Right. right. 
Unfortunately, that's the vast majority. Yeah. Just is what it is, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I saw uh, my, my, uh, like Instagram feed and shit like that is just full of, and TikTok is just full of the Liver King and the Balenciaga scandal. <laughs> um, with whatever but we were not even going to get into that balenciaga being like satan satanic satan worshipers and like uh and uh sacrificing babies and stuff like that molesters yeah that's a that's a conversation for a different time not even saying i don't believe it i'm just saying i'm saying i'm saying i don't you know yeah um the uh i wanted to go back to what we were talking about earlier with the you know, your significant other, uh, being a black belt in the Academy. And then, you know, you train in the Academy as well. Um, the, it's funny, like my relationship with Olivia, I'm the black belt. I run the program. She's a purple belt. And as you know, and, um, I'm harder on her than I am. I am on anybody else. The two people that I'm the hardest on in the academy are uh, Chaos and uh, and Olivia mm-hmm. for a couple of different reasons. But a couple reasons for Olivia, one is she is my significant other, right? She's my fiance. So nobody will ever question that about me, right? Like we don't have a choice but to question it or speculate in that other relationship that we're talking about, right? Oh, black belt running the show. Girlfriend's a purple belt gets her ass kicked at every competition at purple belt. And then all of a sudden she's a brown belt, not even talking about time and grade. Like the time and grade wasn't enough either. You know, I guess that's a matter of opinion, but you know, again, if it's fast, if you promote quickly through a, through a rank, that should be because of, uh, performance, right? That should be because you're in there training your ass off every day and you're getting results. Um, so automatically you don't, you know, you, you can't help but to speculate like, well, fuck, why is that person getting, getting promoted? Um, I never want that to be a question, not, not even a matter of like from anybody else, but with her, right? I want Olivia to know. Yeah. I fucking earned my shit, you know, I earned where I'm at. And, um, um, and then with chaos, he's, like I said, he's, he's a high level Brown belt. He's very good. He, he teaches well, his knowledge is good. Um, he would be a black belt in anybody else's Academy. And, uh, and that's good. That's great. And I, I like that, but, he is also one of my best friends, right? So again, I want him to know that he's that he earned it, that he's gone through, you know, the steps and and really put the time and the energy in and there's no reason that you are a black belt now other than the fact that you deserve it, right? And you have have shored up any, you know, loose ends, you've you've closed up any holes in your game that, you know, and that's not saying that like he's going to get a black belt and then he's just not going to ha- have any holes in his game or anything he needs to work on. Cause right. clearly that's not the case. I have lots I need to work on 
I've been a black belt almost 10 years, but, um, but anything that I see that I'm like, yes, at the black belt level, that's going to get exploited. That's, those are the things that we're like kind of cleaning up right now. So, um, and I think that's the way that it's supposed to be, man. The people closest to you, you hold them to a higher standard, you know? Yeah. Especially, I mean, they're also representing the Academy too, wherever you go. So right. I mean, you want them to be tougher. You want them to, to have that knowledge base, you know, and I think a lot of people would maybe take that personally and take that with animosity that you're coming down harder on them and, um, you know, just in general in society today. But I think the group that you got around you, they understand that. And it's more of a um, a respect for them and a mutual respect for, for you back going, yeah, I want you to be harder on me. I want to be, you know, a much higher level than I am and I want to press forward and I understand you holding me here longer and, and I appreciate it. It's more of an appreciation. Like, Hey, I appreciate you keeping me here and, and making me better um, instead of an animosity, which I think a yeah. lot of people would come off at, uh, come off like, yeah. And it's a matter of perspective and attitude, right? I, I appreciate like that. Both of those, both of them, you are a great example of, of this, but some people as students, they, they want the next belt so badly. Right. It's like, which you understand. It's like, you know, Oh, my professor thinks that I'm at this level and that's awesome. And that's whatever. Or they just love the, whatever the respect or the, whatever that comes with the next belt. Um, it's, it's almost a, I don't know. It's almost a status thing within your like little society inside the Academy, right. And other academies and stuff. But I really appreciate students that, that they care, they want to progress, but in general, they don't give a fuck. Right. Like, like it say that belts weren't a thing. Yeah. They wouldn't care if belts weren't a thing. You just have a white belt and that's just what you have. Right. And it's a matter of who's the best. Those people would still be on the mat training. And I think that a lot of people would not. I think a lot of people would not be willing to go through what you go through in jiu-jitsu without uh, the reward of the belt that you get and the respect that you get from wearing that belt. You know what I mean? So, Olivia, you, chaos, it's all like, yeah, whatever. I just want to be good. I just want to be good at this thing. I want to be able to teach other people. I want to be able to help other people and I want to be able to perform. That is my motivation. And, um, so when you have students with that attitude, that's never a problem. It's actually the reverse. Um, I think I may have told you this story, but when I first gave Olivia her purple belt, she didn't think she was right ready for purple belt. And, uh, was almost like didn't voice this, but like almost annoyed maybe is a good word or like upset that like, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that. Whatever. I was like, okay. So I put her in a super fight against a really competitive, really technical Brown belt. <laughs> so you're a brand new purple belt. You're going to go with, uh, an experienced and, and good, um, Brown belt. And let's see how that goes. And she won. She submitted the girl. And um yeah, it's like, okay, we good now? Right, <laughs> you're, right. you're a purple so belt. Now do you trust me? Right, right. 
Yeah. And the, the whole belt thing, I mean, it's just, I'm, I get it. It makes sense. It's, it's human psychology. It's basically, you know, the reward system. Hey, you've done really well and you've progressed. And, well, here's your reward. Uh, to be able to step back from that, I think, is maturity. Mm-hmm. To be able to go, okay, yeah, I, the belts, yes, they're important and they mean something, but they don't mean anything. What means something is my, my, uh, my level and, and how good can I be? You yeah. know, so you, to be able to step back and go, I don't need the reward. I appreciate the reward. That's, that's the maturity part of it. And I think a lot of people are lacking that too. Um, you know, you've got a real good group at the Academy right now, and I don't think really any of them are missing it and missing the boat. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe a handful, but you know, there's some younger guys in there and I think that'll come with time for them. Um, it's just, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Ego is a thing that's inherent in everyone. Right. And it's just a matter of how much you let your ego kind of lead you. Right. Or it's fine to have an ego nobody would do anything to better themselves if they didn't have an ego. Right. But, um, it's a matter of how much of your ego outweighs everything else and, and what your motivating and driving factors are. And that's with anything in life. Um, Again, diet, exercise, work, business, right? Like how much money do you want to have? Why do you want to have that much money? You know, why do you not care about how much money you have or, or whatever? Everybody's perspective is a little bit different, man. And again, like you can have all the money in the world and, but you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and you're, you know, this and that and fuck man, that becomes exhausting. If that's your reason and that's your push and your driving motivation in life and no thank you you yeah you'll never be happy you know there's always going to be somebody who's better faster more uh who's richer who has more things more toys and you're going to be chasing that for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life you know you got to learn to be content yeah oh i had a uh from our last episode i had a couple of listeners that came in with some questions right on um so uh, EDC, what is, they want to know what our EDC is, uh, everyday carry. I weren't specific, but let's, let's talk about, we'll talk about like personal private EDC, yeah. uh, you know, concealed EDC. I'm going into Walmart, I'm going in the grocery store or whatever, or I'm just at the movies with my family. We'll talk about that first. And then we'll talk about, uh, also like our, because we do this job every day, our EDC as far as our duty uh, system. Yeah, so um, off-duty, it depends for me. It depends upon what I'm wearing, um, what I feel comfortable in. Um, I've got two that I usually carry off-duty. I've got a Ruger SR-1911, and i got that uh, concealed in the small of my back usually when I'm going out. It's not even evident that it's there, but you know, it's a forty-five caliber, so I, I enjoy that. Um, I, I've... I love the feel of the gun. I love shooting that gun um, in training. So, I mean, I just feel really confident in carrying that, and I like the stopping power of the forty-five. When you say smaller your back carry, you're talking about 4 o'clock or? No, 6 o'clock. Okay. Small in my back, like right in the small of my back. Okay. So, um, What's your what's your thought on, because uh, I know I'm going to get the question, so I might as well just ask them now. Uh, there's some controversy around that, that style of carry. Um with people that um, that say like, well, what if you end up falling down on your back or whatever, and like your spine is right on the right on the gun? 
What do you, what do you I think mean, about that? What if I wind up falling down on my side? Right. And I, you know, there's a thousand different variables that you can come into play. Don't fall down on your back. <laughs> How about that? Like avoid yeah. at all costs falling down on Be top. Be on top. <laughs> yeah, stay on top. I mean, yeah, there's just so many variables. And I mean, I saw it in police work. You end up in some really precarious positions you have to learn you have to train in all those positions like mm-hmm. shoot from prone shoot from a supine position shoot from different angles on your side right. um, practice getting your gun out you know um i like the small of my back because i kind of use the analogy like well what if i'm getting robbed you know and i go to brush my hand back to grab my gun the first thing you're going to see is my gun and I think of it in a way, well, hey, oh, you want my wallet? Okay, let me grab my wallet. And I go right. small on my back, and now you've got a forty-five in your face. Right. So it's a pretty easy draw. It's just a single retention with a snap. Um, comes out real easy. Uh, it, even for a full-frame gun, it's super easy to conceal. So mm-hmm. um, it's either that or I, uh, I carry my Glock 27, and I carry that. And um, I've got a Kydex holster that I use. You know, totally different gun. Um, yeah. I'm used to the 40 caliber because that's what we used to carry while we were on duty. Um, you know, I can keep 11 rounds or, or 10 rounds in that gun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a couple more than my 1911 and it's a little snappy, but, um, when you do shoot it, but for, for like that, Oh shit scenario, you know, I can get that gun out real quick, right. punch out the target and get as many rounds off as I need to. And, and, and maybe I missed it. Where do you carry that one? Same place or no, uh, so, like I said, it depends upon what I'm wearing for the day, where I'm going, and sure. and who I'm going to be around. I've got a Kydex holster that I carry, um, and I usually conceal that with, like, a jacket or um, on my right hip mm-hmm. jacket or, a, like, an overshirt or something like that. Cool. Um, you carry spare mags or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I've got an extra mag for each one of those that I carry. And, and again, it's not ideal because I don't have, like, a, a, a belt uh holster for my my magazine magazine pouch um so just in pockets and whatnot sure um well i found so printing maybe it's just my body type um but printing was always an issue so my my everyday carries the uh it's changed over the years but where i'm at now and and what i really like is the hellcat Mm -hmm. springfield armory hellcat um 13 rounds i can carry in that thing and um and I just really like that weapon system a lot. Um, <clears throat> I've got a guy here in town, and um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm actually going to have him on sometime, and we're going to talk about it. But uh, he custom makes uh, Kydex holsters, and uh, he's made me a ton over the years now. But he made me one that's pretty universal, depending on where I want to put it. Like I can put it at four, so I've I've always carried either at four o'clock or appendix. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much uh, solely carry appendix now um, between that holster, the weapon platform itself, and then um, and the belt system that I'm running now. I can run appendix and not really have a printing issue. But I've run um, I've run some other um, holster systems that have like the you know the holster and the uh, mag pouch attached. Or I've run like the holster and then a separate mag pouch still in the appendix position. And I print like crazy with that. So what I'm running now is just that single Kydex holster. It's it's molded just for the Hellcat. I run that at appendix. And then um, 
just canted. I'm right-handed, so I canted off um, to my right side just a little bit of center line. And then uh, spare mag, I run in a, a Neo mag, um, you know, magnetic holster you keep in your pocket. That works really, really well. Um, so, yeah, and for a long time, actually, I, I ran solely at 4 o'clock for years because I just could not figure out how to not print. Mm-hmm. And I had different, I had like crossbreed holsters and stuff like that that were all like half leather, half half kydex or whatever. And those work fantastic for, for that. And anytime I run anything at 4 o'clock, I can run, I used to run a Glock 17 at 4 o'clock. And, you know, even a full-size uh, uh, weapon system like that, it's it would just disappear on my body. So, um, so I can still do that anytime I need to, but, um, okay. So what about, uh, what about duty? Well, real quick to the, uh, to the last conversation, the, the biggest thing, I don't care. You're going to have guys who swear by nine mil guys who swear by 45. Sure. Guys who swear by different weapon systems and different holsters, whatever it is, there's nothing that's going to be perfect. There's nothing that's going to be, or, or nothing that would replace good training. So whatever you carry, whatever caliber, whatever holster, train, 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 train from different positions, train your draw, train your reloads. You have to train because a well-placed 380 is going to outdo a poorly placed 45 anytime. 100%. So you have to train. Yeah. And I, I find, uh, the people that like really get in the, in the heated debates about nine mil versus 45 and, and anywhere in between, um, I don't even fucking listen to those guys. Like there is an argument for all of it. There's an argument for all of it. The there is and and a good one for all of it, right? Sure. 45 absolutely has more stopping power than a nine millimeter. 100%. I carry solely nine millimeter, right? Both in my duty weapon and in my everyday carry. And I'm telling the world right now that 45 has more stopping power than nine mil. That's 100% a fact. It's bigger. How, yeah. <laughs> However, nine mil typically, depending on the gun itself and the and the setup and whatever, but pretty much across the board, you've got more bullets in a nine mil than you do in a forty-five. Again, depending on the weapon system that you're talking about, um, there's a there's a very real argument for both of those which I, and I don't understand why, and they're both valid and they're both, you know, but they both come back down to what you just said. Great equalizer. I could have a nine, I could run a nine mil and I've got, I've got 15 rounds in a, in a Glock 19. Okay. You've got seven rounds in the Ruger. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. Um, eight rounds. Okay. So, I've, you've got seven or eight rounds. I've got 15, 16 rounds, right? Okay. If I miss <laughs> that and you don't, it doesn't really matter how many rounds we had. If we both miss, it doesn't matter how many rounds either of us had, right? If I hit and you miss, right? That it, it, it comes down to training. It comes down to your draw. It comes down to your shot placement. It comes down to your, your mind and your movement under stress and all of that stuff. Um, nothing, 
nothing is greater. I don't care how much money you spend on a gun. Not, no money on a gun is going to be, you know, uh, no money is going to be better spent than the training rather than the gun. So I, I was in a, I was in a gun shop one time, man, this is a long time ago. This is when I was stationed in Alaska and, um, I'm in this gun shop. I'm looking around or whatever. And the, uh, the, uh, Ruger came out with like an air light, uh, revolver. Um, man, I can't even remember the name of that gun, but anyway, SR 22, I think maybe, maybe. anyway, it, it's a 22 caliber revolver. It holds eight rounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is awesome. Most revolvers, most wheel guns are, are five rounds, right. um, typically. And, uh, they're either 357 or, uh, 38. Well, this is a 22 caliber, very, very light gun. Um, you know, and eight rounds. So I'm sitting there looking at it and this guy on my right, he, uh, just chimes in. Nobody fucking asked him. (laughs) Nobody's talking to him. I'm literally just looking at the gun. I'm not asking questions of the, the, you know, the guy behind the counter, nothing. I'm just looking and he goes, I hope you're not trying to get that for self-defense. Oh boy. Yeah. And I just kind of look over at him like, you know, and, um, and I, so then I, I just decide, I see what's happening automatically, right? Right. Like I know what's going to happen here. So I entertain it, right? I just was in a mood. So I go, uh, Oh yeah. Why is that? (laughs) Because you know, the guy, that's what he wants is to talk and show you how fucking knowledgeable he is. is, Yeah. Yeah, How cool he is. And what a, what a huge cock he's got. Let me guess. He was about five, seven and about 260 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. He was as wide as he was fucking, uh, tall. Um, I'm only five, eight for the record, everybody. So (laughs) still taller than that guy. guy. So anyway, um, yeah, so he, he starts going into his spiel about fucking 45 stopping power and this and that and whatever. And for self-defense, a 22 would, you know, never do anything and blah, blah, blah. So I just let him get through his whole fucking spiel about how cool he is. And I go, um, I go, okay. I said, uh, well, and he wants to quote a bunch of stats, right? So I was like, so the typical self-defense engagement is how many feet, right? And uh, he and he rattled off a you know rel- he gave me a generality somewhere between like three and ten feet or something right. like that, right? Which I agree with. So I'm like, uh, I'm like, oh okay. So. You wouldn't be afraid. Let's just play this game. Hypothetically, if you tried to mug me, right, or my significant other or some woman or whatever, and they pulled out this twenty-two with eight rounds and pointed it at you, you wouldn't be worried about that? <laughs> and moreover, inside of three to ten feet, if they hit you, they pulled the trigger eight times. They're going to hit you, right? At least a few of those. Um, you don't think that's going to do enough damage to to stop you? Now, barring, I will give this argument, barring like PCP or, you know, whatever, some mind-altering, you know, biology-altering, you know, substance, um, the, you know, average mugger, whomever, gets hit 
three or four times with a 22 from three to five feet away, um, I don't know that they're having a great day. Yeah, they're going to freak the fuck out. Uh, yeah. They realize that they've been hit and scared they're going to die, and things are going to change real quick for them. Yep. Yep. Now, does it have the same stopping power as a 9 mil or a 45? Absolutely not. But I'd rather my, you know, my wife, my kid, my whoever going out for a jog, I'd rather them have that than fuck. Because sometimes it's reality, too. You're not going to go out for a jog around the block with your fucking dog or whatever. Go walk your dog with a full-size 45 on your hip. I do. You know, well, you're an exception to the rule. <laughs> You also eat fucking gas station burritos, you know, take my chances <laughs> you take your chances, but you know, if, say your wife wants to go out for a jog, you think she's going to take, you know, full size 45 or this fucking ultra light. I don't even know what that gun weighed fully loaded, but less than a pound. Yeah, certainly. Um, I was astonished by how, and the way it shot too. I ended up buying that gun. Um, just out of spite specifically for that for like <laughs> running for and guy? yeah fuck that guy <laughs> i was hoping he'd fucking mug me after that <laughs> so i could show him <laughs> um but yeah anyway dude i mean you can go down that rabbit hole forever and then you get those people well okay well you've got a, a 45 you got a 1911 you've only got so many rounds well what if you get faced with multiple attackers and yeah. now you've only got eight well listen I can't prepare for every situation. I right. can prepare for a lot of them. And if I need more than eight rounds, I know that I, I'm pretty quick on my feet and I could run away. Yeah. Like, and if you get confronted by multiple attackers or if that's your go-to, maybe it's you. Maybe you're putting yourself in the wrong situation. You yeah, know? Let's and let's play that game. Say you're at a gas station or, or something like that and you get approached by uh, – or you're in a dark alley for whatever reason you're in a fucking dark alley. But – and you get approached by multiple attackers. Okay, how many attackers are we talking about? Is this West Side Story and you're going to have 15 fucking right. people, jets, walk up on you and want to fight? Or you're going to have like two, three attackers trying to mug you, trying to whatever. Okay, I promise you pull out any gun. It doesn't matter what the gun. They, they're not going to check the caliber. You pull out a gun and pull the trigger. And assuming you train like you should, and you put a hole in the first one, there's... I mean, typically people are going to fucking scatter, right? Um, it's not, it's not what you see in movies and you're going to get in this like gunfight behind a dumpster and the other guy's behind a trash can and one's behind some parked car. And it's, it's not that. Right. Right. It's, it's typically with the first shot you start seeing, you can watch any of those videos on YouTube where gas station robberies with first shot or two and both parties are scattering. Yeah. Even if they both have guns, they're both scattering because number one, nobody wants to get hit. Number two, they're most likely both criminals. And number three, the cops are coming. So yep. they don't want to die. They don't want to get caught. And they don't. Oh, this wasn't an easy fucking take. Like yeah. I thought it was going to be. Yeah. No, yeah. he didn't drop on the first shot like he did in the movies. Yeah. I mean, there was that one video that was kind of crazy. I remember it was a cop. Um, he was standing outside of his car and he was being approached by some dude and the guy had like a stick or a pipe or something in his hand. Mm -hmm. um, and the cop was carrying a nine mil. And this was, this is every 1911 owner's like fucking claim to glory. Like, yeah. this, this is why I carry a 45. Right. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I guarantee you would have hit him with as many shots as he did. He still wouldn't have fell. But basically the, the guy is approaching the cop, cops backing up, giving him commands and fucking like center mass. Oh, pop, I saw pop, this pop, video. Pop, pop, pop. 
think the guy looks like a fucking like a like science teacher or something. Old, dude. Yeah, he doesn't even. Yeah, that guy was. He was hopped up on something. Yeah, right? yeah. So, again, it he didn't even budge. No, yeah, he, I remember he kept moving forward. Yeah, I think he hit him like seven or eight times. Yeah, he hit the cop with the stick after he was hit already. Right. Yeah, right. So again, it goes back to training. Like that cop. Yeah, I, I get it. There's a lot of stress going on, and you're not thinking clearly and sure. everything, but you got to practice those failure drills too, right? Yeah. Pop, pop, first two shots, center mass, guy doesn't go down. What do we do? Hey. Yeah. Failure so, to stop, T-zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, you're carrying a 38, you're carrying a 45. I don't care what you're carrying. You got to train. You got to practice these things. You got you to gotta train for the inevitable and the unexpected. So, yeah. you've got to do positional shooting. You've got to do failure drills. You, you just have to be at a range. You have to be somewhere. You have to and not be on a static line either. Yeah. Practice moving yep. because in real life gunfights, like we just talked about, it's not two people standing there, you know, the old English days where they take 20 paces, turn and shoot. Right. This is like movement. It's, it's very dynamic. It's shooting while you're moving. Uh, it's moving to cover. It's, uh, you know, it's all these things combined, so you have to train for that. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I have a. I'd rather people be on a static line than not training. I guess like your your sure. typical indoor ranges or outdoor ranges where you go and you know whatever. There's a range safety officer, and you you know they have a lot of rules and places like that. And that's because most people don't have training. That's because most people are really fucking dangerous right. with a gun. Uh, just in making you know simple mistakes or whatever and they're trying to uh eliminate accidents but um i i much prefer that over no training but in general like you guys need to be training your your draw from concealment and not enough can be said about dry fire practice everybody should be if you carry a gun you need to conceal it you know empty that thing out (laughs) (laughs) first (laughs) empty that thing out Put it in your holster, put on your clothes, whatever you're going to wear that day. If you have a jacket, if you have a sweater, a hoodie, adjust a t-shirt, a tank top, whatever the fuck you're wearing that day and practice before you leave the house. Even if you just dry fire 10, 10 reps of clearing whatever your concealment garment is, you know, get good purchase on the gun and aim at your fucking whatever doorknob, light switch. Yeah. Not your spouse. (laughs) But, you know, and, and, and get reps in and do that every day, man. After six months, you do that 10, 20, 30 times every single day. You've got a lot of reps of, of dry fire practice. And, um, as many years as I've been involved in, in firearms and, and every single day we go to work, whatever, dude, even on the days where, you know, I got to meet you somewhere at 3am and it's two hours away or whatever, I have to put my holster on. And put my shit on in in the middle of the day or, you know, while I'm getting ready or whatever. And I'll just rep out 10, 20 reps real quick of just dry fire, dry fire, dry fire, dry fire. Cool. Again, for me, you know, and you, um, the reality of me having to draw my gun in that day is like very, very high. So I need to, you know, I need to be good at it. But um, even the average person, man, I think so many people, I hear a lot of times it's like they are a concealed carry, you know, uh, uh, 
they have a concealed carry permit or whatever, and they have a gun, they have a holster and they, whatever some shit happens. And they're like, man, yeah, I just, I left my gun at home because I was just running to the store real fast, you know, or I was just going to gas up the car or whatever I was going to do. And it's like, I was just going to do a thing for a second. It's like, yeah, well, that's all that it fucking takes. Yeah. That's all that it takes. Okay. So what about, uh, your, your duty system? I think it's the same as you Glock 17. You carry the 17? So I did carry the 17. Um, I now carry the Shadow Systems MR920. Okay. Um, for those of you not familiar with that weapon system, it's um, Glock's operating system. The patent for their operating system ran up. So it was kind of open to the gun community, whatever, manufacturers. So uh, Shadow Systems is a company out of Texas. And they basically took everything about the Glock operating system and made it better. Mm. Um, the The clearances and the tolerances on the on the weapon system are a little bit tighter. Um, thus, your accuracy is a little bit better. Um, again, we're kind of splitting hairs, though. That's dependent on the shooter, right, and the training. Right. Um, you could take a a better shooter is going to get better accuracy out of a Glock than you know a shooter that's not so well versed with the shadow systems, but, um, and basically shadow systems, they also, they, they provide, they provide a weapon system out of the box that is, that is basically everything that people do to Glocks anyway. So you get a Glock out of the, out of the box. Most people, they're going to change shit up about it. They're going to, you know, they're going to put slide serration cuts in the, in the slide. They're going to mount an RMR. They're going to, um, you know, stipple the, the frame. They're going to change the trigger. They're going to, all these different things that Glock fanboys like to do to their Glocks. And I'm one of them. So like I had a fucking 19 that I like totally Gucci Glocked out and whatever. Um, but anyway, the shadow system, uh, they, they just, they provide that basically out of the box and, um, for a price less than what, if you just took your standard Glock and then sent it out to get all this milling done and all these things, um, you can get an, an MR920 for cheaper than it would cost you to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've carried Glocks for, for years when I was on duty, um, you know, there, and I'm not a Glock fanboy by any means, you know, I don't profess that it's the best firearm sure. out there. I just know it's durable. I know it can take a beating. Yep. I know that it's reliable. Like I've never had any malfunction with my Glocks that I've ever used. Um, while I was on duty, I carried a 22. Now it's a 17. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it comes with the, it's, it's, uh, RMR ready. So I've got the T, not the TLR, TLR is my light, my TLR 7A on the bottom of it. And then I've got a hollow sun on top. Um, so, the 507C. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same one I run too. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's super reliable and that's kind of going back to the point of training and dry firing. Um, it's also good to do that just to make sure your batteries and shit are good in your gear. Um, yeah. So when you pull out that, that gun for the first time of the day and you realize, oh shit, my my reticles out um, yep. because I didn't change my battery or I didn't dry fire this morning. Right. You know, you could figure that out before you leave the house and, and make the correction. So, yep. um, yeah, but I mean, uh, Glock has always been reliable for me. Um, you know, 
outside of any kind of ammunition malfunction. I've never had a malfunction with the gun. Yeah, same. I've only had one malfunction out of a Glock, and it was because um, I was out on a course. I was running a uh, a training course, and and it was intended to get you and your guns and all your shit filthy and like really right. put you through the paces and whatever. And, um, and really check your gear and stuff, right. And see what holds up, what doesn't. I think again, people, a lot of people like to like get all the stuff, even just civilians, they get plate carriers and they get all these mag pouches and all this fucking cool shit and war belts and whatever, which great do your thing, but run with it, train with it or whatever. We train with our stuff all the time. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Thank you. Um, we train with our stuff all the time. And, and that case, um, man, what was that? A few weeks ago now, we are stalking, stalking through that guy's yard from the, from the woods or whatever. And we bought, you know, I gave the signal and we all fucking took off. Yeah. And, uh, cost you about what? hundred bucks. Yeah, dude. I lost two mags. I was like, what the fuck? Full of ammo. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was weird, man. I, I don't, and again, like we train with our stuff. I, my stuff is like set up specifically. I spend a lot of money on, you know, the, the mag pouches that I've got are not, you know, cheap and they're meant for retention and stuff like that. And, um, but shit happens, you know, shit happens. It's weird. So you got to run with your stuff and make sure that, you know, you're squared away. Yeah. It changes things up when you start low crawling and knocking shit around. And yeah. Then, you know, cause we can, we can take kneeling positions and shoot and, and roll onto our belly and everything. But once you start like really getting into it, you know, and, and dragging that shit on the ground, you find out what's going to last and what's going to not. And, uh, for you, you were down. Well, we found one mag. Yeah. Yeah. So. You and chaos found one for me. That was good. Um, yeah. So you're, uh, what kind of, um, plates are you running? Well, actually let's go back to the firearm. Cause I'm, again, I'm just trying to cover questions that I know that listeners are going to, are going to have, or, you know, cause a lot of times, man, you know, we get messages and stuff and people, people, you know, ask, ask me questions all the time about like, man, what, what some people are brand new to the game, right? Like, yeah. so like what gun is a good gun? Like it's a very general broad question, but this is the questions that people ask, you know? Right. Um, and, and if you haven't been in the game a long time, you know, and sometimes they just like, respect your answer, you know? So, um, uh, the, how many, so, so you carry the Glock 17 for your, your, uh, duty weapon. How many magazines do you carry with it? I got three. I mean, that's pretty typical for anybody. Who's so two on your, two in your mag pouches, two in the mag pouch, one in the gun. Yeah. One in the gun. Yep. I do the same thing. Um, what about, uh, so what else on your, on your duty belt? What else is on your? So on the duty belt, on uh, so the right side's got my my ammo and my gun, and then on the left side I've got my handcuff pouch, a double handcuff pouch, and then mm-hmm. a taser right next to that, the X2, which is like the top of the line mm-hmm. newest taser that they came out with for, for civilian use. Yeah, your taser's nice. Um, the so you have cross draw for your taser. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I know some people. What's your what's your thought on that like i know there's some cops i think there and you actually you could speak to this i think there are some um departments that force you to eliminate the i have my taser versus my gun problem which that's happened before yeah which i think those people are fucking idiots i don't i don't know again it's a lack of training it's a lack of like you shouldn't even be in that position if you 
have your gun drawn and you think it's a taser. It's it, mental preparedness. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. I can't even have that conversation with people. That's what it is. It's just complete mental preparedness. And if you if you're under that much stress in a situation that you can't differentiate between the two, honestly, you know, I hate to say it, but you shouldn't be a cop. One hundred percent. You should not be entrusted with that duty because there's people's lives who have been lost because of that, uh, because yeah. you were too stressed out. And it's it's extremely tragic and unfortunate, but yeah. That that comes down to the person who approved this person being out on the road and, and yep. being enforcing uh, the laws. So, and the lack of training and yeah. all that. Like <clears throat> again, depart- police departments they don't they don't give enough training. I love cops. We're not shitting on cops. We're not shitting on police departments. But not it just is what it is. Like they cops need more training. Cops need and it needs to be <clears throat> mandated. It needs to be a a forced situation and not a pencil whip situation you know cops drawing their their firearm needs to not just be a an annual qualifier and like that's the only reason that you took your gun out of your holster you know yeah yeah so the department i came from it was quarterly they did quarterly aot which still isn't enough sure still need to be doing it like every every two weeks but what does it come down to the the dollars time and money time and money and it's really you know with ammunition being so high priced you know, they kind of let those things fall to the wayside. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, like the cops that I worked with and that I trained with, the majority, the vast majority of them, highly trained, highly capable, and I would trust almost all of them mm-hmm. in this situation. But it's always the one bad apple that, that makes the situation worse for everybody. Um, so, like, back to your question, you asked about the cross draw versus... Mm-hmm. Um, offhand draw for me it was always uh primary hand so it depended upon where i'd have it set up my taser is always on my off side but i mm-hmm. always draw with my primary hand right um and that's just personal preference when i was on duty um my taser was on my vest on my vest carrier and i would use a, a straight a primary hand draw for that as well but in those situations like for for our department, we would never train like, oh, your your taser is your primary weapon. So if you go to a situation and you happen to be the only officer there and you're waiting for backup, you know, you're not there with your taser out if it's a violent situation. Right. You go to your gun because you don't know what that other person has. And if you go to your taser immediately, you tase them and misses, they come after you and they've got a knife or a gun or a sure. blunt object. Now you're fucked because now you've got to drop the taser draw your gun it's it's all about time so yeah. you know we would always set up where we'd have at least two officers one would be lethal cover one would be less lethal cover mm-hmm. and that's the way you would run it so if you happen to be there by yourself yeah you better have your gun out um so yeah for me it was always uh, a cross draw with my primary hand um for my taser and that's the way i still do it today and it's never been an issue because i've trained that way right yeah that's exactly my setup too um primary weapon system at three o'clock i'm right-handed so it's on my right hip um two spare magazines at um i don't know i guess that would be like o'clock oh you're on 10 o'clock yeah be like 10 o'clock i don't keep them exactly on my side like at nine o'clock um there's no reason for that uh idpa shooters that's forced but um and then, uh, and then same thing. My taser setup's exactly the same way. Canted, um, and cross draw primary hand. Um, okay. And then your, uh, your plate carrier, um, 
Heavy as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's heavy as shit. It's a uh, AR 500. I mean, it's got the, the buildup coating on it. Um, I've got the trauma plates behind it for impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, fuck, I think the thing weighs like 24 pounds or some shit. It's, it's super heavy. Um, yeah. But it doesn't really bother me that much. I can run with it. I can maneuver with it. Um, I'm used to soft armor. Um, when we were on the department, that's what we wear. Everybody had soft armor. Some guys had trauma plates. I had a trauma plate um, for my chest. I don't know what the size was on it, but it was basically for any rifle rounds, protecting your heart and your lungs and things like that. Right. Um, but now, obviously, the plates are way heavier. Um, I was thinking about going with that. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of tests on that flexible rifle armor system. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that, Second Life? or uh, Safe Life. Safe Life. Yeah. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of tests on that, and that looks like it would be pretty comfortable. Um, I may give that a shot when I come around another two thousand dollars extra in my bank account. Yeah, it um, gets yeah, it gets fucking expensive quick. Yeah, so I mean, I I kind of went with um, you know effectiveness and and frugality with this system. That's sure. why I'm paying for it with the weight. Um, but like I said, it doesn't bother me that much. I stay in shape as much as I can. I. I, I when I run uh, occasionally I'll run with weights, mm-hmm. um, and, it, and I can do. It provides me with enough protection, I think, um, and enough mobility at the same time, so it keeps sure. me in a comfortable zone. Um, on the outside of that carrier, now also we've got our body cameras. I got mine mounted high. Um, I keep a an IFAC kit um, on my left side. Uh, with the tourniquet, blood clot agent, chest seals, all that sort of stuff. And then on the right side, I've got a uh, right side of my carrier that is a flashlight and a flash bang, mm-hmm. flash diversionary device. Right on. Yeah, I, um, yeah, my system, all of our systems are very similar. Um, I run the uh, HRC uh, rack plate carrier system, which I'm a big fan of. I really like that a lot. I, uh, I'm a big fan and, and follower of, uh, John Lovell and, um, warrior poet society. Uh, he runs his, his outfit out of, uh, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Um, real good guy. I've met, met him and chatted with him. Um, I'm hoping to have him on the podcast, uh, relatively soon. Um, but uh, he he sells that he kind of endorses and sells that plate carrier system on on his website um and i've tried a lot over the years um i ran a 511 uh tac for for a, a long time and i like that that uh plate carrier as well but um i i like the system i've got now better um and then i uh, bit the bullet so to speak, um, no pun intended. Um, and, and put in the money for, uh, for the, the kind of top of the line plates. We talked about that. Mine are considerably, uh, lighter. I think they're 2.2. I don't want to lie, but I think it's 2.2 to 2.5 pounds a piece. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, just totally different than like military days and and yeah. like you know what sappy plates and all that shit. But um, yeah, so um, and same thing. Have my 
my body cam. I've got, you know, a flashlight. I've got my, uh, I've got a, uh, same thing. My IFAC is mounted, mounted right there on my plate carrier as well. Um, you know, your basics, we've got our comms and shit run through there, but, um, yeah, kind of basic setup. If you guys want to, you know, listeners, uh, leave me some comments and stuff, uh, about what you want to know in particular, we can, we can definitely kind of do a deep dive on, on gear and stuff like that. Um, if you guys are interested in that. So, uh, your, your, uh, flashbang, we're, uh, we've been hesitant to, there've been a couple times we could use it, but, uh, we've been hesitant because a lot of times we're going into trailers and stuff out in the country <laughs> and uh, don't necessarily want to burn one to the ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's, um, uh, what's your experience with, uh, with flashbangs? Any good stories? Um, not that I can talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, awesome alcohol and no, no. right, right, right. <laughs> um, right on. So, uh, another question that we had, um, Ryan, what's his name? Ryan from New Hampshire, um, weightlifting routine. So we talked a little bit about jujitsu. We talked in general about lifting weights and diet and stuff like that, but, um, weightlifting in, in particular. And I guess we could talk also about not only the routine, but like, scheduling for you know you have kind of your own schedule for when you lift weights and stuff and mine's a little bit different um and based around training as well so yeah uh i mean i've been lifting for shit 30 years now since i was about 15 and you're 45 yeah yeah Yeah. um so it's changed over the years you know back in the day when i was younger it was just like how much weight can i move and how fast can i move it and sure you know how can i keep going now it's more about how can i keep my body moving and, and not fuck myself up. Right. I can't lift tomorrow. Right. Um, so uh, it's changed over the years, but I try to keep it pretty regimented. Um, I usually get to the gym about seven o'clock in the morning, probably about an hour and a half after I wake up. Yeah. Uh, they say your testosterone is supposed to be highest in the morning. And when you get to my age, it's kind of like, you know, a big thing. I want to make sure that I'm at optimizing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so seven o'clock in the morning, I usually go um, on an empty stomach after fasting. I, I probably have my last meal at six o'clock at night, seven o'clock the latest. Um, so depending upon which day it is, I usually only do one body part a day. So I'll do chest one day, then I'll do a pull movement the next day. So like a back uh, routine uh, may go into legs after that, uh, probably shoulders, and then a full arm day. So buys and tries. So it was a one, two, three, four, five, five days. Um, I mix up cardio every once in a while in there. So some running, some biking. Um, but I mean, my, my weight routines aren't always the same. Um, I'm trying to experiment with some different things here instead of just pushing heavy weight all the time where mm-hmm. I get in and I do say my arm routine would do, uh, four bicep exercise, four tricep exercises, and try to go heavy to try to uh, volumize and maximize size. Mm-hmm. As you get older, that gets harder. You know, a joint injury, an elbow, a wrist, you're not lifting as much. Um, I've been trying to do some research on those blood flow resistance bands and use yeah. them a couple of times, which it's, it's I'm still, still uh, in the experimentation phase with that. 
Um, if you don't know what the blood flow resistance bands are, they're basically like giant rubber bands for your for your arms and your legs. Um, and the theory behind that is uh, increasing the blood volume in your buys or your tries or your quads or your hamstrings and doing lighter weight for higher reps um, and forcing those muscles to engorge with blood and forcing them to grow. Um, the first couple of times I've used them and I've only used them a handful of times. Um, it was like I was at the gym for the first time all over again. Cause mm-hmm. I woke up the next day and everything was just sore as shit. Yeah. Um, just from that increased blood flow. So, um, for me, like I said, it's it's more about longevity at this point and, and how I can keep moving and not injure myself as opposed to my ego lifting and, and back in the days when, you know, it's like, well, let's put 405 on the bar and see how many times we can bench it. Sure. You know, I do that shit now and I'm, I'm done. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, I still do go heavy, though. I mean, I still, um, I'll get in there and I'll do a chest routine and I'll go pretty heavy, nowhere near where I used to be. Um but, you know, the six to eight reps on my heavy days, um, mix it up with chest. It'll be a, say, I'll start with a flat bench uh, barbell, go to an incline barbell, and you can all in, interchange um, dumbbells for barbells wherever you want. Sure. Um, roll with that right into like a dumbbell pullover and go real heavy, six to eight reps. Um Dumbbell flies or cable flies I like a lot better because you get that constant resistance all the way through the motion as opposed to losing that resistance when you get to the top on a, on a uh, bench fly. Right. Um, yeah, about five exercises on chest. And I do the same thing for, for shoulders. Shoulders is a little more intricate because I do um, uh, traps and, and delts. So that's a pretty big workout. But I usually try to keep it four, four to five exercises per muscle group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do about the same thing. Biggest difference in the way that we lift is timing. I know you're real regimented on, like you said, when you go in and, um, well, I'll, the vast majority of my training in jujitsu and Muay Thai and all that stuff is in the evening. So I like to go in and lift, um, basically right before I do that. So I'll go not, not, right before, but I'll say I need to be at the Academy at six o'clock to, to teach and train. I'll go work out at like four. Um, and, uh, push real hard. You know, I, I definitely like to lift, lift heavy. Some of that's just in me and it's not going to go away. Um, I know when I was in the military before I knew anything about lifting and you know, like you said, it was lift the most amount of weight and as fast as you could put it up for as many times as you could put it up. Yeah. I remember I had a very, uh, bodybuilder set, uh, schedule. So it was like Monday was chest, you know, and, and right. so on. Um, and on chest, I remember I used to bench. I would try to max every time that I worked out, which is crazy right now that what knowing what I know, but that's what I did. Cause I didn't know any better. And it was like, man, if I could put, you know, those like little two and a half pound plates you could put on either side, man, if I could get two of those on either side, man, that's, you know, my max just went up. So, um, and, and it, it's amazing to think about like some of the mistakes I made lifting weights back in the day, but, um, I've been lifting weights about the same amount of time. Um, I started lifting weights at 13 and I'm 40 now. So, um, 
and I, I got to a point where, um, I've gone back and forth between kind of like the bodybuilder splits and stuff like that. And then I got real heavy into powerlifting for some time. I really enjoyed that. Um, I always just wanted to be as strong as I could possibly be. I didn't really care about, uh, necessarily like how big I was or how like in general, I guess, right. like, you want to look muscular, you want to be muscular or whatever, but it was more of a side effect to, to lifting, to be strong. Right. And then, um, and then as I got into fighting, I was like, okay, I need to be strong. I need to be very, very strong for my weight, but I need to also be fast and I need to be able to like touch my toes and stuff. So, um, so I had to change up my, my workout routine some, um, but I still, I still like pushing heavy weight often. I definitely lift heavy all the time, but, um, you know, but I have like more warm up sets, for example. Uh, I don't just destroy my body like I used to. I used to just go in and put, you know, I'd go in my warm up set back in the day was I'd go in and put, um, one thirty five on bench. Mm-hmm. I'd do that 10 times real fast. And I'd jump straight to two twenty five. And I was like, not, you don't still do that. Not the best. Well, I'd go two twenty five, <laughs> and then it would just go up from there. So, so, um, I guess it's the going up from there that's changed because, because, um, yeah, at that time, especially when I was, when I would do that regularly is what I just go up by plates by 45 pound plates. Yeah. So then it was like, okay, my, my like working sets were okay. We're at three fifteen and above and that's, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's the struggle though. I mean, because like my brain still wants to do that. Like I'm still 17 in my head. Sure. I'm still going shit. Yeah. Let's see what I can get. Let's see what I could do. But then the other side of me is going, Hey fucker, don't yeah. do this. You're, you're going to end up in a wheelchair. And then it's, it's like this constant battle that's going on. It's like, I don't want to think of myself as being past that prime, but I know I am. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, I've got to, I've got to mitigate that somehow. I've got to balance that out. So, um, it's just been more and more of like, okay, well, how about let's just find a level where I can progress and not plateau and yeah. okay, well, if I'm starting to plateau somewhere, like maybe I change it up and I add some other, something to confuse the muscles a little more so I can get them to grow or just get them to stay strong at this point. Because right. I, I'm not going to get any stronger, you know, unless I go on the liver King's diet. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So so it's just about staying healthy, staying strong, staying mobile, staying flexible. It's it's a balance of all those things that's kind of come together over the past 30 years. So, yeah. you know, weightlifting, yeah, it's important. But, you know, cardio is important too. Flexibility is important too. Definitely. Well, and when you, yeah, when you have other shit that you're doing too other than just trying to look good in a tank top. Like, you know, we both have a good physique. We both look good. We, You know, anybody sees us, they're like, oh, yeah, you're muscular guys, whatever. But it's not, that's not the focus. That's not the goal. And I think people lift differently when they're lifting for performance of any kind versus aesthetics. Like I just want to look good in a tank top. Okay. Well, that's not hard to do. And you don't even have to lift heavy to do that. Right. You know, there, there are ways to, to get into hypertrophy and and all these things and, and, you know, look better without really pushing. Um, there's different mindsets behind lifting. So I just want to be, I need to be, I not only want to be, but I need to be the strongest guy in the fight. Like if I'm fighting another guy, 
I need to be the stronger one. And I would like for that to be by far, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in our everyday life, you know, fugitive recovery, we don't know who the fuck we're going to go out and get some guys, six, six, three fifty. Like that's a pretty strong fella. That's you why know? there's three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right on. So what, a, so we talked about diet a little bit earlier, but bringing it in with the, the lifting. Um, so you said you lift early in the morning and you lift fasted. So how quick do you have a regiment as far as that is, is concerned, like getting in, you know, protein shake in that 30 minute window or what are your thoughts on that? So That's old school now, right? You know, you got to look at the science behind it and your body doesn't metabolize those proteins as quickly as you'd like to think, you know, 20 years ago, like, Oh, you got to have a protein shake within an hour. Well, that protein is not available in your system until like 24 to 48 hours later. So it's really about, being consistent with your diet and making sure that that protein is always available. So making sure your diet is pretty regimented and that you're taking in constant amount of protein throughout the day. So if you're fueling off of what you ate yesterday, for example, right? So it's just, yeah, stay consistent in your diet, stay consistent in your, in your workout routines, then you never really have to worry about yeah. it. I mean, you want to avoid the spikes in sugars so that your right. insulin doesn't spike. You know, it's, it's everything. I've come to learn at this stage in life that everything is about balance. You know, none of this just gorging on food and like, oh, you've got to have mass gain or you've got to take this protein shake. You've got to have this right after your workout. Like it's it, your your body is an amazing machine and mm-hmm. it will do what it's supposed to do. Um, you've got plenty of energy stores in your system. That's why you can go and lift early in the morning and still be able to push through your workouts. Sure. Because you know, you've got plenty of fat and plenty of stored sugars in your system that are going to get you through that. And then after that, then it's just about being consistent throughout the day. Right on. Yeah. I, I remember when, uh, I was, when I got into lifting, I was 13. I lived in California, Southern California. And one of my neighbors, um, his dad, his name was Herman. He's a Mexican fella. And, uh, he had done some time in prison <laughs> and, and was one of those like prison built guys and uh he had a he had a little home gym in his in his garage and i'd go over there and he had a son my age so that's how i was over there hanging out with him and stuff and his dad would be in there lifting and he'd be lifting with his dad so i just started lifting with him too and i asked her like this was a he was a massive human just i mean especially to me at 13 years old right like in reality he was probably like i don't know maybe six foot six one um if I had to put a number on it, I'd say two twenty five. But like, but solid, lean and so, like and lean though. Like he looked, he he was ripped and big, and um, two twenty five. As you know, two twenty five really lean and two versus two twenty five soft are two different humans. Completely. And um, and I was like, I was like, you know, Mister Herman, how do you? how do you look like you do? You know, like, how do you, how'd you get this big? Like, I would love to be that big when I'm a grown up, you know? And he always kept everything super simple. He was like, eat a lot of food and lift really heavy weight. He's like meat and potatoes and lift heavy weight. And I was like, okay. And sure. it's funny because I'm 40 now and I know so much about research, so much about nutrition and trial and error in my own life and stuff like that. 
And that's still in my brain and in my heart, like meat and potatoes <laughs> last night for dinner, I had meat and potatoes and, uh, lift weights today. You know, it's like, um, still don't look like Herman. I still don't look like Herman. <laughs> mainly cause I'm five, eight, not six, one. But <laughs> other than that, I'm pretty close to Herman. No, I'm not. I'm also not two twenty five. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, um, so you don't, you don't, uh, where'd you, where'd you hear that? The, the thing about like the protein, you know, like your protein synthesis and, and the, your something. feeding window. Yeah, dude, I was reading something like a couple of weeks ago on the internet and there was some new scientific study that was put out and it's like, mm. yeah, your body doesn't metabolize it within an hour. So it's no good to your system. Your body's feeding off the protein from three days ago, two to three mm. days ago. So I, I'd be interested to hear because I know this is going to be a controversial thing too. A couple things I want my listeners to to comment on. Uh, reach out to me, hit me up in like my DMs in uh, on Instagram, uh, my dot alpha dot life. Um, get me a message, however you whatever platform you know me on, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, email me whatever. But I'd like to know because there's a couple controversial things we've talked about today. Uh, one like nine mil versus 45 guys <laughs> I know and the 22, you know, um, uh, LCR, I think I said SR 22. It's a LCR. Um, anyway, I want to hear you guys' opinion on that. And I want to hear you guys' opinion on this, on the, on the, your feeding window directly after, uh, working out, uh, training, you know, especially like heavyweights and stuff like that. There's some very pointed opinions and it's almost a religion, right? There are people that believe like, man, they're strict. Like I just got done. I have 20 minutes or 30 minutes maximum and I need to get a protein shake in or I need to whatever. Um, even to the end, I know people that are so strict with that, that it's gotta be a protein shake because a protein shake digests quicker because it's liquid and whatever versus like your body having to break down a full meal and, and all that. I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying, I know, I know people that are, that are really old school and like that, that strict with it. So I'd like to hear your guys' opinion. Um, on that note, uh, if there's anything else, anybody wants to, uh, reach out about, talk to me about, um, any questions you guys have, uh, feel free to, you know, reach out. Uh, give me these questions for my other listeners. If there's anybody, uh, any guests that you guys would like for me to have reach out and let me know. Um, outside of that, my friend, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show. You're going to be on many, many times. I, I enjoy our conversations and I think there's a lot that goes back and forth that, that our, uh, that our listeners can, you know, can benefit from. So, and we got, I got a lot of great positive feedback from the last episode, um, that you were on. Everybody, everybody really enjoyed that one. So thanks for not sucking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right guys. So like I said, you know, reach out to me if you've got, uh, you know, questions or, or whatever, um, outside of that, remember you only have one life, make it an alpha life.